Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. You you guys can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, Good morning, Providence Church. How are you guys doing? Yeah, let's try it again. How are you guys doing? Doing well? All right. Hey, my name is Jason, and uh, like Andrew said, I am uh, one of the co-pastors of City Light Kansas City, and I'm also a church planning resident over at City Light Council Bluffs. And so uh, it's been a joy to be here, to be a part of the City Light family. Um, And I want to say to you guys that my family was here a few weeks back, and like Eric said, we're kind of a large family. We got a set of twins in there, five-year-old, a seven-year-old. And um, you guys were hospitable and welcoming to us. We felt loved. Uh, Our kids felt loved, taken care of. And when we left here, uh, Sarah and I were talking. We were like, there is a sweet presence of Jesus at Providence Church. Um, So kudos to you guys. We're, We're thrilled that you guys are in the city making much of Jesus, living on mission, and inviting people into a Savior to believe in and a family to belong to. So thank you guys so much. Um, and as, I, as we heard earlier, Eric and I are going to be planning City Light Kansas City. Uh, we're making weekly trips down there right now. And um, in the fall, we plan on gathering a core team service, uh, doing that every week, moving down there hopefully very soon. And um, so we're excited about that. So if you actually know people in the Kansas City area, uh, tag them on Facebook, connect them to us. We'd love to meet with them, and we'd love for you guys to keep praying for us. Uh, we believe God moves through prayer, so, uh, and we're going to be talking about prayer this morning, so please, please be praying for us. Um, and you guys have been working through the book of Psalms over the summer, and so I get to preach from Psalm 3 today. Uh, and if you're reading this from a, a Bible, or maybe you're reading it on an app, right before verse 1, it says that this is a psalm written by David. David is the uh, king of Israel, and it says during a time when he is fleeing from Absalom. Now, Absalom is his uh, son who's trying to take over the kingdom from David. And we read in verses 1 and 2, and you hear this throughout the psalm, that there are a lot of people who are conspiring and rallying against David. Um, People are saying to David, there's no hope for you. You've kind of dug your own grave. And in the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel, we get a little bit more of the context of what's happening in Psalm 3, uh, and how King David's life is in jeopardy, and how Absalom, his son, is conspiring and pursuing to kill him, right? So what's happened so far is Absalom has taken David's concubines, and he's claimed them as his own in view of the public, which was kind of a punk move on his part, uh, right? He's turned many of David's friends and advisors against him. He's taken David's job, his title, uh, his throne, his dignity, his reputation, and he's getting ready to send an army to kill David. 
And if I'm just shooting from the hip, I'm going to guess that David's having a rough day, right? If I had to guess. And the context of this psalm is one of shame, betrayal, pain, disappointment. And I would say if you've ever experienced bad or maybe negative emotions and felt pain as a result of someone else's actions, uh, this psalm is for you, right? This is a psalm for when life isn't going well, and especially when the pain you're feeling is because of the people around you, right? So this is a psalm for when life is not going well. And it's not going well because maybe people you've loved or trusted have turned against you, and now they're hurting you. So uh, for David... Someone is trying to kill him. And it makes it worse is that it's his family. Makes it even more worse is that it's his son. And I've never had someone try to kill me or a member of my family. And if they did, they weren't successful because I don't remember it. Right? But um, I have seen betrayal. Right? And I have seen people behaving badly. Uh, I've seen life not going well. Right? Some of you probably have seen that as well. Um, when I was in high school, we had a relative that was getting into some trouble. He was a few years younger than me, and uh, he was looking at possibly going into like a group home or a juvenile detention center. And I, I honestly don't remember all the details surrounding that event, uh, but I do know he needed a place to stay. He wasn't allowed to stay in his home. So my parents said, hey, we'll take a risk. We'll gamble on this kid. You can come stay with us. Uh, but... My parents did not have a high trust of this person. And uh, he had a reputation for stealing, and they sort of laid it out at the beginning. They said, look, if you steal from us, we're risking, you, we're risking on you. If you steal from us, it's over. You're not going to stay here anymore. And so he got that talk. Uh, everything was going pretty well. He was doing good in school. He wasn't getting in any trouble. And my mom was just so proud of him. And so he started doing chores around the house. She wants to teach him some life skills. And so they go down to the bank together and open up a joint savings account where, you know, she's dropping money in there for him for just doing stuff around the house. And uh, one night, so it's a few weeks later, um, I used to leave my car keys on the kitchen counter. And I'm, I'm in bed. And I'm like, oh, I forgot something. So I go back out, and I see him holding my keys and, uh, of course, we know his reputation. And I'm like, what are you doing with my car keys? He's like, oh, Jay, I forgot something in your car. I'm like, you forget nothing in my car. Give me that, you know. So I was a teenager. I probably wasn't very kind to him. But I took my keys back and I uh, didn't think much of it until a few weeks later I get a call from his brother. And he says, Jason, you got to get home now. And I'm like, well, what's going on? And he tells me the story of basically what happened was that relative that we opened up our home to, uh, had stolen my parents' van and uh, loaded it up with a bunch of kids from school and then wrecked it, okay? And what made it worse is he wasn't even old enough to drive. So my mom and dad, to say they flipped out would be an understatement, right? They, they were pretty mad. And you know how, like, sometimes dads can have that anger that, you know, they're, they're kind of loud angry, and then they move into that next level of quiet angry that's like, volcanic. It's going to erupt any moment. That was my dad just not looking, eyes closed, just shaking. He was so mad. And um, what made it worse was that my parents had just dropped the full coverage on that van. All right. So now it just, it keeps getting worse. And um, from my parents' perspective, 
right? They'd opened up their home to him. Uh, They'd given him a chance. They took a risk on him, and they felt like he took advantage of them. So the cops came, took him away, and uh, a few weeks later, he runs into my mom again, and he says, hey, uh, that savings account, uh, you going to give me that money? And uh, my mom had another little meltdown right there and said, no, I used that money to pay for the damages you did to my van. You know, and her voice probably kept going up. She, she was pretty upset about that. So for them, that just added more salt to the wound. And years later, my parents still had a hard time with him. I mean, we're talking decades later. They still had a hard time with him because they felt like they could not trust him. He showed little remorse in their minds. He, he wasn't sorry enough. Now, whether their attitude was right or wrong for them, the stealing of the van, the breaking of their trust, and the demand for that money, it wasn't just something he did. It felt personal. Like, it felt like an attack on them. It felt like a betrayal. And I'm sure many of you have stories of betrayal. Uh, I'm guessing some of you went into your mind to a time and a place where someone disappointed you, where they didn't live up to their end of the deal. Maybe they went behind your back. Uh, Maybe they took their own hurts, their own disappointments, their own aggressions out on you. And in those moments, it's difficult not to feel like that's personal um, and not to feel like that's intentional. You know, things like maybe a business partner stealing money, a family member that was living a lie over a long period of time, maybe someone gossiped, slandered about you, someone carelessly hurt you. I know for me, when I've experienced those things, I tend to go into a place of embarrassment. I feel silly. I feel foolish. And because I'm in that place, then I have to fight not becoming angry, wanting vengeance, or just completely withdrawing. You guys get that? You've experienced that. All right? And so we've all experienced disappointment and pain and loss because of the actions of other people. And so for those of you who are hurting or who have been hurt, you're not alone. This is a common human experience. And David is on the run again because his own son is trying to kill him. And so we get a chance to read from David's journal in Psalm 3. We get to hear his prayer. Uh, David shows us in Psalm 3 how prayer points us back to God and back to God's protection, presence, peace, and position. So for us, when we experience hurt and pain and disappointment because of the actions of other people, uh, let's prevent those feelings from turning into anger and rage and resentment and bitterness, and instead, let's seek God through prayer. We're going to experience this. It's going to happen. And when we do, let's turn to God. Let's seek him through prayer. So first, because prayer points us to God's protection. Uh, Verse 3 says, but you... O Lord, are a shield about me. Prayer points us to God's protection. So when you've been deeply hurt, what's your natural reaction, right? What's in your gut? Is it payback? Is it rage? When we find out that bad news, when we hear about someone's actions, and it feels personal, we feel betrayed, we feel uh, uh, hurt by someone, or maybe our current situation just can't seem to get any better, where do we go for protection, Um, I had a friend uh, that deeply hurt me, and him and I had been friends since I was seven years old, and he hurt me in my late 20s. My Christian faith was very weak at the time that happened, and uh, 
man, the feeling of that pain was deep to where I would have dreams at night where I would see him at the food court in the mall of all places and I would find a bar stool and I would kind of beat him with that bar stool. Because I'm like, you are messed up. Um, right, but that's just how that felt. It was so deep in me, uh, this anger I had towards him that I would see him in the mall and beat him with a bar stool. Um, and then what he did though left me feeling vulnerable and exposed in a weird way I felt unsafe, right? I was looking for a way to defend myself. I needed to find security in something. I had an anger that wanted to be protected by turning to revenge, violence, payback, but I knew that wasn't the answer and that if I went down that road, it would not lead to life. I just knew that. I knew that. I needed something to hold on to because I was broken My heart was aching. I was deeply wounded. I was angry. And the only place I knew I could go to to get out of that was seeking the protection of God through prayer. When David went through his situation, he cries out to God. And he says, the Lord was a shield about me. A place of protection. A place of to seek rest and comfort and security and safety. And even though an army was seeking his life, David knew it was the Lord that was his protection. Providence, God has not left us. Right? He hasn't left us. He hasn't abandoned us. He's still with us. And he's promised to never leave us or forsake us. So even when it seems it can't get much worse, we can trust that God is protecting us and he's with us. Right? That's encouraging news. And the work of prayer is this exercise of dependency in God. And David shows us that prayer points to God's protection. And prayer also points us to God's presence. In verse 4, David says this, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. All right, so David is on the run for his life. He doesn't know what Absalom's next move will be. And yet he takes time to cry out to God. He prays and he recalls God's presence. Uh, And when we've been disappointed, hurt, abandoned, felt attacked, we can cry out and take comfort in the fact that God hears us. Like he hears us. He's present with us even if we don't feel his presence. We're not just crying out to empty space, right? It's just this random cry out to the universe. No, our God is personal. He's living. He hears us. He sees us, he loves us, he cares for us. And for David, this is his first response. And in David's cry, he says, I cried out and God answered me, right? He sits in this moment with God. This is not just a, hey God, life's tough, help me out, right? But this is David crying out from the depths of his soul, right? Crying out from all the emotion that's in him. David is being honest and transparent with God, and God is present with him in that. That's a gift. Providence, when we pray out of a place of hurt or disappointment or anger, let's show up with honesty and transparency. Let's not pretend it's okay when it's not. If there's any place to not be okay, it's okay to not be okay in prayer. Right? So let's speak the truth to God how we're really feeling. Let's be present with him. David invites us into that so we can cry out. You know, when I found that out, God, my heart was broken. When they did that, man, that hurts. I want some 
retribution. I want revenge. I want justice. Like we can pray those things and be honest. Like we're invited to do that in prayer. We cry out and take comfort. Because according to David, the Father answers. Like he answers. He may not answer in our time, which may mean we spend more time crying out and seeking him, bearing our souls, bearing our hurts and our disappointments. Uh, But he will hear us and he will respond. That's a beautiful thing. And even if he is silent, prayer points us to God's presence that we're not alone. And prayer also points us to God's peace. In verse 5, David says this. He says, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. Right? David has lost everything. And he's running for his life. And in any moment in the night, an assassin or an army could show up to take David's life. But because David has gone to the Father in prayer, he has peace. He's able to sleep in the middle of all that chaos. And uh, in the New Testament book of Philippians, the, uh, the Apostle Paul writes this in Philippians 4. He says, don't be anxious about anything. For David, he's got a whole army chasing him. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it does not make sense to have peace in that moment, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer points us to a peace that we can only receive from God. Uh, For me, if something's on my mind and I think about it right before I go to bed, I'm looking at that thing over and over and over and over. I'm looking at all the different scenarios and ways it could play out. Uh, There are a lot of people who can't sleep before a big exam or a big presentation, whether that's at work or at school or a sermon. Uh, Some people can't sleep before a big race or a trial, whether that's the lawyer or the defendant. I'm guessing some of you know what I'm talking about. Has anybody ever had something on your mind right before bed and you have trouble sleeping? Anybody? Yeah, a lot of us, right? So we're anxious. We're trying to plan for every possibility, and we've kind of laid it out in our heads. So if this happens and then this happens, then this could happen, and then it's hopeless, right? That's how it works. You start kind of creating those pathways. Um, It's out of our control, and instead of us going over every detail, planning for every scenario, looking for every fault, we're actually invited to turn to the Father and find peace, to trust him that he is in control and that he's good, right? It's going to work out for his, his glory and our good. To trust that Jesus is not up in heaven wringing his hands worried about our situation, but he's in control and he won't abandon us. And prayer has this this sort of element of surrender to it that we trust in God, that he gives us sleep instead of fear and worry. Prayer points us to a peace that only comes from God. And then prayer also points us to position. David says in verse 3, my glory and the lifter of my head. That's amazing to me that he can say that in this moment. Remember, all of David's dignity And social standing has been removed from him. Uh, His son has turned the people's hearts against him. David's trusted advisors are now advising Absalom. Uh, Absalom has pitched a tent on the palace, and the people know that Absalom is in there with David's concubines. Absalom has taken uh, David's job, his friends, his team, his co-workers, his dignity, his title, his home, his authority, and his reputation. 
David pretty much leaves uh, the palace sort of with his tail between his legs, running in fear. Can anyone relate to David? Have you ever been duped before? You ever been tricked or scammed by somebody? Uh, Maybe you've believed somebody's lies for a long time, and when it came out, you're like, how did I fall for that? You ever been betrayed? That's that's what David's going through. Uh, I have, and it can be embarrassing. Um, That's kind of why I'm almost on the verge of rude when I go to a car dealership, because uh, I think of all the times I've been told something by a car salesman and believe them, I can actually get angry about it when I think about it. Um, I get flush. But if that's how I feel about a car salesman who I never met before and I'll probably never see again, can you imagine how David feels? Like how, what's David sitting in emotionally? I can't imagine what David is feeling. And yet David has the audacity, uh, what I would almost see as swagger, right? To say, my glory and the lifter of my head. How can he say that? How can he say that? He has nothing, right? But I believe it's because David has done the work of prayer. He's told God just how he feels. God has been present with him. Uh, God has given David his presence and his peace. Uh, David is trusting in God as his shield, and he's experienced God's protection. He's prayed and trusted that God is bigger than his problems, and he's received that peace. And now David, through prayer, finds position. He finds standing. He finds status in his God. Uh, And when David says glory here, it can mean honor, abundance, riches, reputation, dignity. As David prays, he's reminded He's pointed back to the position of honor and wealth and dignity and abundance he has, not in himself, but in his God. Right? David is not defined by his title as king. He's not defined by the comforts of the palace. He's not defined by how many people think he's great or how many people now hate him. All that can be taken from David, and it is. And he's left with nothing, and yet it's the Lord who is his glory, The Lord is where he finds his dignity as a child of God. The Lord is where he finds his true wealth and his true riches. And his position is still, uh, David's called the apple of God's eye. That doesn't change, right? He's still one who God loves. So how often do we find our glory, our status, or our, our position in other things? Our work, our kids, our paycheck, our health, you know, our titles, the praise we receive from other people. Uh, our grades, our accomplishments. But when those things disappoint, we become despondent, fearful, and insecure. And David is able to say, take all that from me. Take all of it. And I still have my position, my status. My glory is not my own. It's not in who I am. It's not dependent on me, but it's dependent on who my God is. Right? That's what David is saying there. And if we could be people whose glory and status and standing and position are found in God alone, we would be people who walk with this confident humility. Well, we, would, we would have a swagger ourselves, right? Providence, prayer points us to God's protection, his presence, his peace, and our position in him. And the question becomes, how do we see Jesus in this text? Where does Jesus show up? How do we stir up affections for Jesus aid us in becoming people of prayer, people who run after God in prayer. And so for those of us who are believers, right, 
we want to pray and find presence and protection and peace and position. Uh, so is the answer for us just to try harder? And I would say no. The answer is for us to look to Jesus, make much of him, and ask him to uh, empower us by his spirit to be people of prayer. Uh, because Jesus also finds himself in a very similar situation. Jesus has spent roughly three and a half years with 12 guys. He's poured his life and his heart into these guys. Uh, he's ministered with them. He's hung out with them. He's, he's eaten with them. And at the end, they all betray and abandon him, every one of them. And one of them even goes so far as to betray him with a kiss. You can't say Jesus didn't feel that. That, that felt personal to him, right? That would have felt personal. And there's... And Jesus suffers not only as one who is betrayed, right? So he's been betrayed. He gets that side of things. But Jesus also suffers for our acts of betrayal. Right? All of us in this room, every one of us have at one time disappointed, misled, let down, lied, maybe used someone for our own gain. We've all done that. There's a little bit of Absalom in all of us. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus pays that penalty for us. Right? And unlike Absalom, Jesus is the perfect son. So when we place our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus, we get all the benefits and the privileges of being a son that has always obeyed. And so how we see that played out in Jesus' life is that uh, Jesus finds himself on the cross crying out, just like we find David uh, in hiding, crying out. But unlike David, where David says, I cried aloud and the Lord answered me. Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Jesus suffers abandonment so we can experience God's presence. Right? David prays and receives protection. Right? Uh, Jesus, Jesus prays for this, uh, the cup. He says, let this cup pass from me. And yet it was the Father's will to send Jesus uh, to be falsely accused, beaten, tried, uh, tortured, and ultimately killed so that we could know the protection of the Father. Right? That's what Jesus does for us. He suffers for us so we can, suffer, so we can be with the Father. Right? And in light of God's protection, right, the resurrection shows us that even death will be overcome and overturned. What do we need to fear if death itself has been defeated? Right? What can stick to us if death has been destroyed by Jesus, right? David said he laid down and slept, right? He receives peace. Yet Jesus spends a sleepless night petitioning the Father in a garden. Under so much stress, he sweats blood so that we could have rest in him, right? Uh, David says that God is his glory and the lifter of his head, and Jesus experiences shame and mockery, and he's led outside the city to be killed between two thieves in the position of a criminal. And he does all that for those of us who believe in him. And now we're given a status, a position. We are a child of God, and we stand before God as one who has always obeyed perfectly. So providence, since we have all of these things because of what Jesus has done, when we feel hurt or upset or like we've been betrayed, let's run to Jesus in prayer. Let's run to him. Let's be with him. Let him be your glory. Let him be your protection. Don't run down that spiral of anger and bitterness, but run to your shield, your glory, 
and the lifter of your head. Uh, Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, we thank you so much for what you've done for us. I pray that we would experience your presence, that we would experience your protection, your peace. And I would ask for those of us who have not surrendered fully to you, if there's places in our hearts or our lives where we haven't surrendered that to you, that we would do that. That we would be people who come to you when we're hurting. And that we would make much of you and trust you and know your goodness. That's just in your name. Amen.